You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. A flu shot blitz is underway in BC this weekend in an effort to get more kids vaccinated against influenza. Only one in five children on average have had the shot in BC. And as Richard Zussman shows us, with kids being hit hard by the virus, the province is making a push to get more kids vaccinated before the holidays. Yay. It's a desperate shot to increase flu vaccination rates among children. Now underway across BC, walk-in clinics as part of an immunization blitz. It's very scary, so we want to protect our baby. We're worried, but we get vaccinated. Go science. The worries largely come from the fact six children have died from flu-related causes already this year. And the most recent data shows vaccination rates for kids against the flu continue to be staggeringly low. Kids six months to four years old, around 21 percent. Five to 11, about 20 percent. 12 to 17, around 15 percent. I would like to see that um, go up by a lot. We've seen an increase this week as we've been talking about the importance of it and as we've been seeing some very severe illness and, and some tragic deaths in children. Visits to doctors for respiratory illness has steadily climbed, making up nearly 4% of visits in early October, 5% in November, and now nearly 7% of visits. We did a lot of work together to get through COVID, and we got back to this new normal. Here's what the new normal is asking of you. It's asking of you to get a flu shot. And although the sign may say appointments only, the province is hoping this short switch to drop-ins will help get that low vaccination rate up. Although experts say there's a lot more the province should be doing. People have to trust that the public health officials are doing everything they can to understand, monitor, and report on this situation. And parents' decision-making has to be informed by accurate information. And right now, it's literally life or death. Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi says it took too long this week for the province to confirm the death of children due to the flu, and the flu vaccine is at best 70% effective, and there needs to be more testing and masking. These masks diminish the transmission of respiratory disease, and not mandating them to me makes absolutely no sense. Dr. Gandhi's bottom line, vaccines are crucial, but public health is about much more than that, especially now with so many diseases hitting all at once. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we'll bring in our Keith Baldry right now. Keith, some new data shows respiratory infections in kids have at least stabilized a little bit in recent weeks, but uh, experts are saying this could still change. Uh, yes, indeed. So this is the first bit of good news we've seen on this front for some time since uh, going back to September. I've shown you the numbers of the percentage of visits to healthcare facilities, doctors' offices, ERs amongst young people has been climbing significantly with acute respiratory infections. The good news is from the BC Center for Disease Control, the latest statistics. You can again, you can see the slight stabilization after a steady climb uh, through uh, October, and that's actually not quite the graphic I was calling for. But uh, anyways, that. That's the one Richard used in his story. I have a different graphic, but uh, in any event, I can tell you that in each age group, 0 to 4, uh, 5 to 9, and 10 to 15, after a climb from about 12% of visits in September and October, it had hit 26, 25% of visits a couple weeks ago. That is not, that increase is not continuing. Thank goodness. It's stabilizing. How long it'll go, we're not sure. Health Minister Adrian Dixo says it doesn't matter. We're heading into the social season where people are going to be gathering, underlying the need to get vaccinated.
we're going to have a period now where a lot of people are going to come together who may not normally be together. So it's really important now to get everyone vaccinated because we are concerned there is the potential. If we're not taking action like vaccination and we're not careful with each other, that that period, that period around uh, the Christmas break could lead to a, a re-pushing of influenza transmission in BC. So I'll be showing these statistics every week, Chris, every Thursday or Friday when they're released by the Center for Disease Control. And hopefully that stabilization continues and hopefully it doesn't start spiking. As Minister Dix points out, the socializing uh, part of the season is just beginning in earnest. So hopefully the illnesses don't continue to climb. And like the doctor said in the, in the report, it is a matter of life and death in those rare mm -hmm. circumstances. Yep. Thanks a lot, Keith. More than 4,000 residents of Gabriola Island are hoping their week-long nightmare comes to an end soon. They've been living with limited power and no phones for more than a week and were promised service would be restored tonight. But as Kylie Stanton reports, that is not going to happen. A week after losing power, work is still ongoing and frustration is at a breaking point. It has gotten a bit more uh, tiresome as, as the days have gone on. Residents all asking the same question. Were you going to have power on today or not? A wind and snowstorm last Friday knocked down power lines and snapped the fiber optic cable to the island, leaving Gabriolans virtually cut off. Not having any phone at all it was disconcerting to say the least. I have a medical complex medical issues if anything had gone wrong. There's nobody I could call. With only one circuit powering the island, residents were asked to conserve to only critical use while crews got to work. We had to restring the line um, from, from Gabriola over to Mudge, so it required helicopter, uh, we had to have cooperative weather, had to do it in daylight, want to make sure the job is done safely. In the meantime, TELUS supplied a signal booster outside the fire hall in an effort to enhance cell service for first responders, but residents weren't as lucky. You know, you end up going to the beach or somewhere or down to the ferry dock to try and get a signal. And while these kinds of interruptions are all part of living on an island, some say this experience has been a wake-up call. According to the island's fire chief, there were 24 calls for service during the six-day span, one serious enough to require a helicopter. When it comes to the potential losing members because we don't have the infrastructure to communicate in an emergency, we got to do better as a community. BC Hydro was hoping to have the repairs complete Friday evening, but another storm rolling in prevented that from happening. So residents have no choice but to continue to wait it out. We always ask our customers, make sure you check our website uh, for any updates. And if there's any changes, we'll certainly let our customers know. Kylie Stanton, Global News. IHIT has been deployed to Coquitlam after a fatal shooting Thursday night. RCMP officers and BC Ambulance Service were called to the area of Lambert Way near Turner Avenue for reports of a shooting around 11 p.m. Police found a woman suffering gunshot wounds inside a vehicle and they began life-saving measures, but unfortunately she died. Investigators believe this was an isolated incident. Anyone with information is asked to contact IHIT. Homicide investigators have identified the woman killed in a suspected case of domestic violence in Surrey. Police say 40-year-old Harpreet Kaur died Wednesday night. The mother of three was stabbed to death in a housing complex in Newton. Police say the victim's husband was arrested at the scene but was released Thursday. 
Investigators continue to piece together exactly what happened Wednesday night, gathering enough evidence, possibly for Crown prosecutors, to lay charges. I can say firsthand that our investigators have been working nonstop on this since the file came in, and they continue to work to gather evidence at this time. I know a situation like this, uh, where there's alleged domestic violence, can certainly hit a community. So we wanted to give as much information as we can as soon as we possibly could. Anyone with information about the family or the stabbing is being asked to contact police. And two people have been charged after a disturbing incident in Delta this week. On Wednesday, Delta police were called to Highway 17 and Ladner Trunk Road after reports of a distraught person in the area. Officers found a 21-year-old woman who reported she had been assaulted, robbed, and forcibly confined in the back of a U-Haul van. Langley RCMP located the van in Aldergrove, and a second woman was found still inside. Delta police say 38-year-old Dustin Engels now faces numerous charges, including two counts each of forcible confinement and assault. He and a 28-year-old woman named Morgan Thompson also face one count each of robbery. Yet another potential black eye for minor hockey on the heels of the recent Hockey Canada scandal. A Coquitlam family says their son was subjected to harsh racism from teammates, coaches and other families. Aaron MacArthur has the details, but first a warning. Some of the language in this report will not be suitable for younger viewers. An ugly situation that has simmered for years in Coquitlam's minor hockey system has finally boiled over this fall. The family of a 16-year-old boy speaking out about racism directed at him on the ice and the family as a whole. It's like, do they just not even want us to play hockey? Like, my kid deserves to play hockey just like every other kid. And just because we have a different skin color, it shouldn't matter. According to the family, who we're not identifying, in 2019, a parent on a group chat allegedly posted a video with depictions of the KKK. Global has seen this video. The South Asian family spoke up and filed a complaint about it, but claim nothing was done by Coquitlam Minor Hockey. A lot of parents joked about it afterwards in the chat group, but after we made the complaint, we noticed like things shifting. A lot of people supported the parent that posted the video, and we were sort of ostracized. Coquitlam Minor Hockey wouldn't discuss the matter, but in a statement says CMHA takes these allegations very seriously, and we do not condone or tolerate any such behavior within our organization. Despite those assurances, the teen switched hockey associations this year, playing instead for the Port Coquitlam team. During a game in October against his old team, tempers flared up. He was ejected for an on-ice infraction. And in the lounge where he was watching the remainder of the game, another altercation erupted between the teen and the man who allegedly posted the offensive video. And um, he's like says, you brown piece of shit, you spineless, uh, gutless uh, piece of shit. The 16-year-old player faced an indefinite suspension, which was seemingly overturned because of the attention on this situation. While there remains a police investigation into this incident, police have also been made aware of potentially hate-motivated incidents leading up to the assault, which include a disturbing video shared within a group chat. Coquitlam RCMP take all potentially hate-motivated incidents very seriously. These allegations are currently being investigated to determine if any of these actions were criminal in nature. 
The teen's mother saying, while her son loves playing the game, he doesn't have the same enthusiasm for it anymore. And had she known the toxic culture surrounding hockey, she would have steered him to a more inclusive sport. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A rebuilt Vancouver school now proudly bears a name gifted to it by the Musqueam. Sir Matthew Begbie Elementary is now known as Wakwanas Tshiyakwam. In English, that means the sun rising over the horizon. A nod to Vancouver's Hastings Sunrise neighborhood. Musqueam elders, staff and students participated in a renaming ceremony at the school this afternoon. And the ceremony also marks the completion of BC's first seismically safe school built using Canadian mass timber. Can we say Wakwanas? Performance provides us with hope, hope as Indigenous peoples, that we can sit in a space, in a learning space, where perhaps it wasn't so hopeful for us when we were young people inside of these type of walls. The original school was built back in the 1920s and named after BC's first Chief Justice. But the VSB chose to rename the school due to Matthew Begbie's prejudice and involvement in the hanging of six Chilcotin chiefs. Residents say it's a low-class move from a high-class hotel. 40 beds were moved up the driveway in a snowstorm. The Four Seasons Resort Whistler has secured employee housing in a residential neighborhood, and there's evidence up to 40 people might be living there. What the resort says about it, next on the NewsHour. Freedom Day for a group of SEALs saved from certain death. That's later on the news hour. And how crashing the RV was just the beginning of this driver's bad day. That's a little later as well. Right now, though, a luxury hotel in Whistler has lots of room for guests, but not so much for employees. The Four Seasons Whistler is leasing a house for its seasonal workers to live in, but that house is in a quiet Squamish neighborhood. And neighbors are worried it's about to become an overcrowded dormitory. Kristen Robinson has more, including the hotel's reaction to the fuss. It's quiet at this multi-million dollar Garibaldi Highlands home in Squamish. But neighbors say they saw a lot of action two weeks ago. Couldn't help but notice 40 beds were moved up the driveway in a snowstorm. Counted the mattresses, 38 plus queens. The five-bedroom single-family home had operated as a bed-and-breakfast before it was bought for $2.375 million by a pair from Seattle this past May. The Four Seasons Hotel in Whistler, which says it houses more than 50% of its workforce, is now leasing the property for staff housing. If Whistler, and I know this has been going on forever, cannot accommodate those that work for them in all the different places and all the different hotels, it's really, really sad. What I'm finding here is a really low-class move for a high-class hotel. The Four Seasons Whistler says its well-established housing model includes addressing safety, security, noise control and parking concerns, and it's working with the District of Squamish to ensure the home's use complies with all bylaws and zoning regulations. What we're hearing here, which may be taking place here, is a scale that I haven't seen before. The District of Squamish confirms it is investigating a bylaw complaint involving the Glacier View Drive address. With a vacancy rate of under 1%, the municipality is trying to increase its affordable rental stock, while the mayor says a regional approach is needed to address affordability. Using this as, a, as an example of potential spillover from one, one community with unmet needs spilling into the next to, 
to meet those needs. Um, I'm sure this is repeating itself uh, throughout the province. No one answered the door when Global News visited the Whistler Resort's Squamish rental home. When asked how many staff would be housed here, the Four Seasons said it's not confirmed and currently no employees live at the house. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 88 pages that could seal the fate of the Surrey Police Service. Coming up, the city staff report that shows how much a new force will cost versus keeping the RCMP. Also tonight, the maritime disaster still causing problems on the wild west coast. Traffic is still in recovery mode here eastbound on Highway 1 through Burnaby after clearing a major police incident just earlier past Kensington. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Tristy Wisson in the Global Traffic Center. Brenda Locke was elected mayor largely on a promise to keep the RCMP in Surrey, arguing the move would save taxpayers a lot of money. Well, we now have a better idea of how much, and it's nowhere near as much as Locke promised on the campaign trail. Catherine Urquhart reports. How much would it cost? That's the focus of a newly released corporate report, which examines keeping the RCMP versus transitioning to Surrey Police Service. It estimates SPS would cost an additional $235.4 million over the next five years. Numbers surprising to SPS Union. Sorry, residents deserve to know exactly what the costs are going to be, and that's a $300 million discrepancy. That discrepancy relates to what was said before the election, when Brenda Locke claimed moving to SPS would cost more than twice that amount. The cost that we came up with, the $521 million for the, over the next four years, that's not our numbers. Those are our all publicly resourced numbers. The 88-page report also indicates that by 2027, policing Surrey would cost about $37.2 million more per year if SPS become police agency of jurisdiction. I think the human resource issues need to be addressed. This is a complex process. We're dissolving three different trade unions, and that's going to cost a tremendous amount of money. And those costs aren't included in the report. It's a lot to consider for BC's public safety minister. The transition itself has been underway for, you know, the better part of uh, two years now. Uh, and so to unwind it is obviously a very complex undertaking and a lot of issues around that. Minister Farnworth is due to receive the report next week after council votes on it Monday. A decision is expected early in the new year. Mayor Brenda Locke declined comment on the report. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, a very close call. An RV driver almost loses his rig over a cliff. And that's not the worst part of the story. Also, a cry for more health funding from Ottawa. Will premiers get what they asked for? Winter maintenance is causing significant delays right now for westbound traffic on the Portman Bridge, and there will be full closures both ways in the HOV lanes all weekend as well. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $25 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
It's rare that someone is lucky when they drive off a cliff, but that's certainly true for the man behind the wheel of this RV in Saanich this morning. Saanich police say the driver was saved from falling all the way down the cliff on Charlton Road when the RV hit a large tree. But he wasn't so lucky when he failed a roadside breath test and was handed a 90-day driving ban. The RV was towed very carefully off the embankment and has since been impounded. The damage to BC, uh, BC's coast from last year's freighter disaster continues to be a problem more than a year later. In October of last year, the Greek-owned Zim Kingston dumped 109 containers packed with consumer goods into the ocean off southern Vancouver Island when it was hit by rough seas. Only four of the, of the containers were ever recovered. Tons of debris, including full-size refrigerators, washed up on B.C. shoreline, sparking a major cleanup effort. And the debris is still coming to shore. In the case of this video, posted by recreational pilot Duke Morolf, who spotted it on the coast of Alaska. Dozens of Yeti brand coolers, which sell for about $250 and up. You know, you definitely see it. You don't see it as much in the water actively, um, just because it's a big ocean. But when you hit to the beaches, there's, there's stuff everywhere. Between coolers and buoys and just general garbage, uh, plastic bottles, it's, it's always there. It's, it's not very cool. A report by a House of Commons committee this past October concluded Canada is not prepared when it comes to dealing with marine cargo accidents like the one that happened to the Zim Kingston. Canada's premiers are again calling on the federal government to step up on health care funding. That comes as primary care facilities across the country are stretched with resources limited in every province and territory. Kyle Benning reports. <coughs> Doctors across the country have been ringing the alarm for months. Everyone feels overwhelmed and the system is overwhelmed. Physicians, nurses and support staff are pushed to the brink with little relief. The lack of out-of-hospital care is a factor in the greater needs in emergency rooms. It's incredibly difficult right now across all of Saskatchewan to be able to access primary care or find a new primary care physician. My physician is retiring uh, early next year and I can't even find one myself. In Ontario, emergency air ambulance service Orange reached record levels for pediatric patients in November. Doctors are preparing in case kids are transferred south of the border with respiratory diseases overloading the child health care system. Podiatrists are calling on parents to be more proactive. I would pull my little ones out of daycare for the next couple of weeks just to give those babies a break so they don't pick up what's going on right now, or at least give yourself a chance to get everybody vaccinated. All of this comes as provincial and territorial leaders have reached a standoff over healthcare funding models. Canada's premiers are calling for a meeting with the Prime Minister and for Ottawa to take on a higher share of the yearly bill. One-off funding is not, uh, not going to uh, add to the sustainability of the long-term funding of healthcare in our country. The federal government has offered funds to provinces on top of some, seeing surpluses in budgets. Earlier this year at a health minister's meeting, a new deal on the Canada health transfer was going to be struck, only for a joint press conference to be cancelled at the 11th hour. The federal health minister says before a funding model can be signed, the goals of the funding plan need to be agreed. Until now, the premiers refuse to speak about those results. Everyone else wants to, but not the premiers. When we do agree on the results, we can finally speak about the means, the dollars needed to achieve those results. And neither side appears to be making concessions as Canadians deal with a severely overloaded system. Kyle Benning, Global News.
Up next, a SEAL success story. Three, two, one. Newfound freedom thanks to the Marine Mammal Rescue Center. And the incredible journey of a whale with a broken back. Join Global News Morning live from the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast. Come donate an unwrapped toy and make Christmas a little brighter for families in need. In partnership with Fortis BC, investing in energy for a better BC. New images show a humpback whale with a severe spinal injury likely caused by a vessel strike in BC waters. This drone video shows the whale known as Moon in the waters off Maui last week. The severe bend in her spine has left the humpback unable to propel herself with her tail. Researchers first noticed the injury in September in the waters off northern B.C. They say Moon is likely in severe pain and is not expected to survive the journey back to B.C. Experts call it a reminder of the threat that vessels pose to humpbacks and other whales. Well, here's a happier marine mammal story. It's not just people heading home for the holidays. In Squamish, a group of seals are returning to their natural habitat following a long recovery on land. Paul Johnson shows us more. These are all rescue rehabilitated harbor seals that have been brought into our rescue center. And we've been gearing them up since day one to be returned back out to the wild. At Porto Cove Friday, it was clear and frigid. Perfect weather for a homecoming if you're a certain kind of mammal. Today we were able to release seven of our rehabilitated harbor seals back out to the wild. If you're looking for a heartwarming ritual in the holiday season, few things can top the Vancouver Aquarium's home for the holidays moment. Three, two, one. These seven harbor seals were all found as orphaned pups. One was only two days old. They've had about 70 days of rehab, and it's expected they'll live as fully wild animals the rest of their lives. One seal from a previous year was tracked swimming across the Strait of Georgia and now hangs out in the Gulf Islands. Most of them do quite well and, and live out um, an extended period of time. We have Harry Pottery, Wakame, Black Tassel, and Bleached Brunette. And of course, the SEALs team of human caregivers has grown pretty attached to them. Who doesn't get a little wistful during those holiday goodbyes? At Porto Cove, Paul Johnson, Global News. A little chilly to go for a swim. Also, we should tell you that there's some cancellations on BC ferries out of Horseshoe Bay uh, and Duke Point, I believe. Uh, we'll check in and get more information for you likely on the Late Show. There's Christy down in Stanley Park with a beautiful backdrop for the season. Mm -hmm. The cancellations due to the winds that are uh, kicking up along the Strait of Georgia, Chris. Also, we have a closure, Highway 1 between Hope and Lytton. As of 8 p.m. tonight, they're actually going to close it because of an avalanche, and that, or not an avalanche, the potential for an avalanche in that area. We have so much snowfall on the way for the local mountains. It should be a great weekend for skiing, but not a great weekend for travel. Here's a quick look at the areas under a warning. Uh, we are looking at a Sea to Sky Highway as well as Whistler area, 25 centimeters 
tonight through a good part of the day tomorrow. Also, the east coast of Vancouver Island, 10 centimeters tonight. But I want you to note that it is so cold out here. It's only about 3 degrees. There is a potential we could see higher elevation snow even across the lower mainland. So the usual suspects, Westwood Plateau, SFU, Malahat across Vancouver Island, watch for that. We also have winds that are a concern across the southern Gulf Islands and in Victoria, and that's another reason why we're seeing that um, cancellation of those ferries. That was a weird move there. Sorry, everyone. Okay, there we go. This is the system I wanted to show you. So it's going to spread snow in through the interior regions also about five centimeters, but it's not going to be a good day for travel tomorrow. Sunday will be a much better day as it all clears out. So here's a look at your forecast for your Saturday, wet across the south coast region. If you're seeing it change there, Justin, if you can just keep it going, that would be great. Um, we are expecting periods of rain here across the south coast area, but light snow in through the interior areas. And for our region, we'll see a clearing um, by the afternoon hours on uh, Sunday and it is going to be chilly but at least we're going to see some sunshine which is great because we want lots of people to come down here to Bright Nights which is where we are. I want to introduce you to Ray Boucher. Uh, he's been here for 22 years organizing, putting this all together. 700 firefighters to put this light display on and I know that there isn't a train this year but still you have tons to offer for families. Yeah we do and uh, because this year and because there's no train which is unfortunate, the firefighters that came out went above and beyond their call of duty and putting these lights up and did just a phenomenal job. Totally. And there's live entertainment, there's lots of treats, there's hot chocolate for the kids, so it really is a great time. And the best part is, is that it's on ten, from 4 until 10, 7 days a week, and it doesn't cost anything. The parking's free just by donation, of course, to help the burn fund is really important. Let's talk a little bit about the burn fund and why it's so important. Well, the burn fund, and we raise funds for our programs, and a lot of people know about burn camp. Uh, we have a Too Hot for Tots program, we have an adult burn survivor program, uh, so we have a, a house where we house people that uh, who are their families are in the hospital and we put them up. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's just a, a great time to come together and, and we do need funds to carry on with our business. Um, and with the help of everybody, I think that, uh, yeah, we can pull it off again this year. Absolutely. And another great feature this year is the 50-50 draw. So you can take part if you can't get down here at home. You can take part. $200,000 is where it's at already, already. That's where it's at now, yeah, and it'll go a lot higher. Yeah, so take part in that. You can see the website just down on the below of your bottom of your screen there. Chris, it is a great time. I hope to see you down here because the light display this year is quite tremendous. Back to you. It looks awesome. Great work by Ray and his crew and by you down there as well. Thanks very much, Christy. All right, also I misspoke too. It's Departure Bay sailing at 8.45 p.m. that's been canceled and then Departing Horseshoe Bay at 10.10 p.m. Check BC Ferries' website for the latest details, though. All right, even as online shopping grows in popularity, it seems most of us still prefer spending money in person. A new Research Co. poll surveyed 800 British Columbians. 55% say they'd rather buy groceries and gifts in store. That's a 1% increase from a similar survey last year. But preferences change depending on age. 59% of respondents between 18 and 34 say they prefer online shopping. 73% of people over the age of 55 say they'd rather shop in the store. Across the board, the majority of British Columbians say their in-person shopping levels are back to pre-pandemic levels. Well, among the holiday hustle and bustle, Canada Post has hired additional staff 
to help with the rush. That comes as their package surcharge has been raised once again recently to nearly 40% on domestic parcels. This week it was lowered again slightly to 37%. Now despite the fluctuation in prices, Canada Post is still expecting a very busy season, hiring an extra 4,500 staff and adding more than 1,500 vehicles to accommodate the seasonal surge. Deadlines for domestic packages vary on priority, but if you want your package or letter to arrive at its destination by Christmas, you should send it out no later than the 19th. Okay, let's check in now for a look ahead to sports. Squire Barnes joins me. Well, we're going to talk about uh, all these goals that we've seen in the NHL this year. There is a glut of goals. It makes hockey a lot more fun, but this is a bit different than we've seen in recent years. Also, it's a very good day in Argentina and in Croatia. It's not a good day in Brazil and Netherlands. We'll show you what happened there. Some shocking finishes for sure. All right, thank you, Squire. Also tonight, a very cute satellite debris. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Fans love lots of goals, don't they? Yes, it's a lot more fun. Well, remember with the dead puck era in hockey when the Devils were great back in the day? It was like 2-1, 1-0. Jamming up Ugh. the neutral zone. When they canceled that whole season, they made rule changes to increase the scoring. It's taken a while, but it's now happening. Uh, we talked yesterday about how the Vancouver Canucks have been outscoring all their problems with their defense and their inconsistent net minding of late. And we often joke about high-scoring hockey being very much like it was in the 80s, when the skill of the forwards especially seemed to jump way ahead of the skill of the netminders. Eventually, goalies and coaches with their defensive schemes caught up to the scoring. But this year, the games are starting to look old school. That's why a lot of big leads in the NHL are being erased. Now, it's something you didn't see much of before, and, of course, around Vancouver, we should know about big leads disappearing because we've seen it a lot with the Canucks. Going to get away with it, too. Pedersen attacking from the side. He scores! The Canucks have been the NHL poster boys for outscoring their problems this season. Give up six, score seven. Give up five the next game, no problem. Score six and get another win. Vancouver's not the only team filling the net. Goals are up all across the NHL. 22 of the 32 teams are averaging more than three goals per game. We haven't seen scoring like this since the early 90s. The game has changed a lot in that <clears throat> defense are more almost offensive rovers. I mean, the attack is by five men and four men, where in days gone by it was three men and maybe a D would join the rush. But uh, so when you're stuck and in the offensive zones, it's five guys moving. It's uh, morphed into a five-man attack system. So I think that's made it an awful lot harder to defend. It's a lot of talent. You know, it's not like when I came into the league when you basically had six offensive guys and six guys that were playing defense back there on forward. So every single guy on the lineup can play and can score goals. And it's no surprise that the game's up, you know, evolving that way. Here's Miller in front, tipped in. Andre Kuzmenko. 
The Canucks have scored 27 power play goals in 27 games this season, producing at a lofty 28.1% clip, which most years would have them at the very top of the league. But that's good enough for just sixth in this season of very powerful power plays. When I first got into the league, when we won the, the power play, like are we had the best power play team in the league, we were at 26% and the next team was at 20%. Now there's 25 teams at 20%. So the scoring on the power play is so up. The Canucks know they will not be scoring five or six every night the rest of the way, and they have to tighten up a lot defensively. They've allowed the third most goals in the league, and that has to change dramatically for this team to get to the playoffs. If we want to sustain the winning, that you can't allow five and six goals every game. And we have to work a lot on defense and neutral zone, and the, with the, how we play without the puck is probably the, our biggest our biggest uh, something that we can improve on. At the start of the World Cup, everybody thought this was Brazil's to win. And today, when Neymar scored this brilliant goal against Croatia and took a 1-0 lead, it looked like Brazil was going to move on to the Final Four. But then Croatia tied it, and then it went to penalty kicks. And I don't know what it is with Luka Modric and Croatia. They love the PKs. We said the other day, Croatia finds a way. And they found a way again today. Marquinhos hits the post, and Croatia wins. Brazil is out. So Neymar doesn't get the World Cup. Will Lionel Messi or Lionel Messi make that? Get his first World Cup. This will likely be his last World Cup. It looked like Argentina was going to win until Verkhorst tied it 2-2 just before the end of extra time. But in the penalty kicks, Argentina prevailed. So Messi gets another crack. He'll be in the semifinals against Croatia. Tomorrow, Morocco, Portugal, winner of that, plays the winner of England and France as we start to narrow it down to four teams after tomorrow. Uh, David Menard has signed a new contract with the BC Lions, veteran defensive lineman. Good signing here. He uh, was fourth in the CFL with nine sacks last year, which was a career high for him. There are five games left in the Seattle Seahawks season. They hold the last playoff spot in the NFC, but the way they, uh, well, they have to play, I should say, this Sunday against Carolina, perhaps, without star running back Kenneth Walker and his backup DJ Dallas. Both have ankle injuries. Both are game-time decisions. But... If there is a bright spot here, it's that four of the last five Seahawks games are all at home. This is a, a, a huge opportunity for us as we know that we're finishing up the, the majority of the season at home. Man, we want to play good here. We want to, we want to get this thing right and uh, put together a terrific football game. So it's a big deal to us. Um, and, and we're doing everything we can in every phase. We've got some areas that we're still working on, still cleaning up. We know we can continue to get better fundamentally, and that was one of the big focuses this week. There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. We're back, and we'll wrap it up with Satellite Debris next. numbers are going up this weekend. All right, Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. 
Chris, if you thought the passport nightmares were a thing of the past, think again. Tonight we're hearing from a Chilliwack family days away from departure and still waiting for their passports, even though they applied for them back in June. Plus, sidewalks left unshoveled, a slipping hazard more than a week after the snowfall. The city of Vancouver recorded more than 900 complaints, but didn't hand out a single fine. Their explanation for why not at 11. Chris. Can't wait for that. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Squires here. We got satellite debris ready to go. Yeah, we have a Christmas theme because, mm -hmm. of course, it's getting closer, right? It's Ooh, it's uh, like two weeks away from Christmas I Eve. I better no. do, I better well, do some shopping. Yeah, you better. Uh, people seem to get upset last year. I did all the shopping at 7-Eleven <laughs> on the night before. Okay, so we're going to start out with um, one from Cursed Groceries. Not here, over there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, you'll enjoy it, I'm sure. Here we go. Hey, hello. Hey, Ruben. Yeah, baby. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be loud. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. the years, we all will be together. The fate is allowed. So hang a shining. Uh, jongens, de meester nog iemand. Hey, Harry. Kijk eens wie er is. Lieve, die kavia's. Het zijn hamsters, mam. So sweet. See? You've got a soft spot in there somewhere, Squire. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> I've had x-rays done. They still don't see it <laughs> still yet. Still can't find still it. Still can't find it. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so this one from uh, Deliveroo, which is also a Christmas one. Here we go. Delicious festive dishes from your favorite restaurants on Deliveroo. I think the first commercial was from the Netherlands. I think. Yeah. This one is from Austria, I believe. Erst Bank. Here we go. So this life is given everyone a present. Beautiful, shiny, and Oh. 
You thought those packing peanuts were Well, it worked there, didn't it? Beautiful, those oh. packing peanuts. <laughs> Is that what they're called, packing peanuts? Well, they're packing peanuts, but you could roast marshmallows on the back of that guy. That's what I thought would be pretty. <laughs> that, would, that would probably not be a good thing for him. Might not when be. you think about it. Might okay. not be. Hey, real quick, we missed, I know a lot of people wait for the weather window, but we missed our central windows weather window earlier in the broadcast. So we wanted to show you this. A spectacular shot from Haida Gwaii. Thanks very much to Lisa for capturing that. Is that a sunset or a sunrise? I wish I knew. There were no notes. Okay. That's it. Well, hope you enjoy the sunrise tomorrow as World Cup continues. Two games tomorrow. England-France. Portugal-Morocco. You're watching that one. All right. Have a great uh, weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching.